Community Connections CKMS Local sounds, thoughts, passions, and success Celebrate local Your neighbor's got a story to tell Happy Monday, Waterloo Region. You're listening to CKMS Community Connections on CKMS FM Radio Waterloo. This is the recording for the 26th of February, 2024. In the studio with me is uh, Rochelle Lovell. Lovell? Lovell. Lovell. <laughs> Who is from Save the Arts Waterloo Region. We'll be talking with her in just a few minutes. Uh, right now we're listening to Cameron Noyce, who will be in the studio on Friday at 3 p.m. So tune in again then. This is Too Many Notes. That was Camera Noise with Too Many Notes. In the studio with me is Rochelle Lovell, who is the Executive Director for the Waterloo Arts Fund. The chair. The chair. The chair of the Regional Waterloo Arts Fund. What is that? So this is a regional, uh, it's advertised as an arm's length organization that's meant to support the local arts sector and provide project support yearly. What it actually is is unclear. At this time, <laughs> but uh, what, what did it used to be? It used to provide um, grant support for artists. So okay. they were giving out. I mean, they started around a hundred thousand dollars, and they've grown to about four hundred thousand dollars per year, just under of supporting artists' projects mm-hmm. for both organizations and individual artists. That goes out to 
dozens of artists at a time? Yeah, it's it's typically 30 to 40 artists oh. per year that are funded, sometimes less, sometimes a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And I was an Arts Fund supported grant in 2021. That's how I became involved with ah. the fund when I launched my own company here in the town. Okay, that company is? that My company is Diverse Works Dance Co. All right. So we started with an $11,000 investment from the Regional Waterloo Arts Fund. Right. And use that to do what? So I used that to create my first piece of repertoire, which at the time in the pandemic, we were meant to present at the registry, but then we went into, I don't know, code (laughs) purple or stage two or whatever um, the Doug Ford thing of the day was. And uh, so we pivoted into a short film that we filmed at the registry. We also had an anti-black racism in the arts panel discussion with a number of uh, community hosts. We also launched uh, just the creation of the collective. So I had at the time an apprentice, a principal dancer, and another member of the company. And we were just starting to build up. From there, the following year, I was supported again, and that helped me to build the paid apprenticeship program. So that is for youth, and they, um, they're they paid to come and work with the company and to train. So we did that last year, and they've all since gone off to pursue their dance careers or attend university that sounds very varied. How how many are you said arts, dance? What other sort of things does the arts fund fund? Yeah, they they fund everything from visual art, dance, music, acting, playwriting. Um, there's been a lot of unique projects about um, just like revitalizing the town, putting murals, putting art in the parks. Um, it really is up to the artists and what they apply for. And there's always a really significant amount of applications and only a small per- percentage of those are funded. So yeah. we really do have a vibrant art sector here and this is something that was meant to support. Right. There's a lot of musicians in Waterloo Region. Uh, today, for example, I've got an hour queued up of just music from Waterloo Region artists, uh, musicians. Yeah. There's a lot of it. And I know that a lot of those musicians don't always get the funding they need. How do people access the funds. Yeah, I mean, we really struggle here as a region. Federally, we are known as an artistic desert. So we have a really high population of artists, but a very low amount of opportunities, because we're just not well supported here. Um, Canadian Heritage has identified us as a place that's been systemically underfunded. So that's something that we are really dealing with. But folks typically reach out to the Region of Waterloo Arts Fund. They might go to the Ontario Arts Council, the Canada Arts Council, Canadian Heritage, Ontario Trillium. I think this is where most of us are getting our money, as well as the community foundations. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of us are you know, taking the private business approach, where we sell tickets, we produce it ourselves. Um, you know, Some of us have rich daddies that help. And that's pretty much how we go. It's it's unfortunately a bit of a privileged thing to do here because the barriers are so high. Right. And is, is the lack of funding or the lack of opportunity because we're all Philistines and don't go out to art as citizens? No, I think, I mean, my personal opinion is that it started with the the gentrification and the re- the removal of um, arts and education. Like we, in the oh. Mike Harris era, we really removed a lot of this from our public school yeah. systems. This has eroded our 
our sense of how important art is, how it contributes to our economy, how it contributes to innovation, particularly in such an innovative area. Like we're known as Canada Silicon Valley. We don't tap into our art sector here to help make that more vibrant. I just think it's a mentality that we have because there's a lot of supporters of the arts and and per capita, more artists here than in other areas. Yeah, I remember the uh, Mike Harris stuff. Uh, when my son was in grade school, yep. um, his music department went from uh, a dedicated music teacher with a room, and uh, I think there might have even been stringed instruments there. Uh, yep. Stringed instruments were the first to go. Yep. Uh, then the teacher was released. He retired, but um, still. Mm-hmm. And that left uh, a room without a permanent occupant. Yep. And at the end of uh, his grade school, it was just down to a single rolling cart that moved from room to room with a bunch of recorders. That's right. And we still have that model to this day. Uh-huh. So, so my, my son, for his music class, plays the recorder. And he has sensory issues, so he hates it. Duh. And uh, he has a learning disability that affects his fingering, so he extra hates it. And right. um, this is his exposure to to music and art. And if I didn't have the capacity or privilege to engage him in, you know, private music studios, private dance studios, and by nature of my own work, expose him to the industry, he would not have any education around this. So right. it, it's not equitable what's happening. Right. Are the private schools in a better position to teach the arts? I don't know if they are in a better position per se, but I think that they have more capacity right now. I think we've also experienced a huge hit to the sector since the pandemic. And so in in the lack of public education, we had all this private education. And now even that is impacted because we were deemed non-essential. And right. that really took a lot of us out. Yeah. The pandemic was, was bad on everything. Yeah. Um, a lot of artists who had gigs out in, in bars and restaurants and uh, even dedicated venues like the Registry Theatre. That's right. Suddenly found themselves all shut down. That's right. And ended up only being able to do their stuff online, which yeah. is a big shift for a lot of them. It's a big shift. And again, not equitable. I mean, there's a lot of us from the older generation that would struggle with with interacting or, or the learning curve of, of trying to work through digital media while we're all in lockdown. So that was challenging. Mm. Not everybody has, you know, great equipment at home. A lot of folks don't even have access to the internet. So that yeah. really created a lot of barriers as well. There's a joke in the industry that I hear going around a lot that we have long COVID as an industry, oh. um, that we're still mm-hmm. really suffering from the impacts and we're only starting to try to get out of it. But then we're also seeing the systemic defense funding of the sector so i believe believe that a lot of the former audience are still locking themselves down or at least being cautious and uh, not going out to public venues like theater that's right yeah Yeah, there's still people who are wary of of going out but there's also less money for you know we had a lot of pandemic support to create art that could get into people's homes through the tv and the radio Mm -hmm. and and we've lost a lot of that funding now that we're quote post pandemic (laughs) so um there's a lot of gaps that need to be addressed. But even the funding that was available pre-pandemic has been drying up. Yes, the, there was, I mean, we've all been yelling and crying and screaming and pleading and begging for more money because we we predominantly as artists live under the poverty line. There's not enough support. Yeah, yeah. And Everybody has the day job. Yes, most people have an additional day job. I'm 
fortunate that my day job is still in the arts. So I am a dance teacher and I work on the competitive circuit. I'm an cool. adjudicator. Um, and that's something I chose to do when my son was quite little because it allowed me to work in the evenings and weekends while my partner could do daytime work. And for me, that put more income into our pockets than attempting to pay for daycare. So I kind of went down that rabbit hole and I was really fortunate to build a very vibrant career. I have a lot of opportunities in that aspect of the career, but it doesn't give me the capacity to always make art. I love giving back to the children and youth, but again, it's a privileged thing to do. Not everybody can afford it. We don't have any nonprofit programs for this around here, aside from what, you know, we're trying to build now. So it's really challenging. And most people are, you know, pouring coffee, being a cater waiter. They are working at a bookstore store they're doing a full-on corporate job yeah and that doesn't leave enough capacity to do the artwork yeah, exactly mm-hmm. my father-in-law uh, played the country music circuit yeah uh, back in uh, i guess the 70s and 80s um, so he did a, a full-time factory job during the day and then wow. at night uh, he grabbed the station wagon and go tootling all over southern ontario wow. and coming back to uh, the day job There would be naps taken in the loading dock because he just couldn't make it through the day without, you know. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's really pushing people past the point of burnout. We're losing a lot of good people because of this. Mm -hmm. A lot of families are impacted because now, you know, as a mom, I have to choose between spending time with my family or doing my art or earning income. And why should I not have all of that? Why should I have to choose between having a family and being an artist? Right. And then recently, at the end of last year, there was a huge blow when the Kitchener Symphony That's right. Uh, shut down. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so the symphony declared bankruptcy in September overnight. I think it was something that was not surprising entirely to the community, but it was a big shock yeah. because of how it happened, because tickets, subscriptions were already sold. Uh, everybody from the youth orchestra was about to start, I think, that day, mm-hmm. that night. And all of the musicians found out at the 11th hour. This is obviously not something that happens overnight. From what I've heard, they were over $2 million in debt. So I don't think that they were going to get out of this anytime soon. But there was also a lack of transparency to the community. So it was too little too late. The council sounds like they're actually quite ecstatic to have lost the symphony because I think they think it makes space. I mean, I'm not going to speak for them. That's my own impression. Mm. But yeah, my impression is that they felt the symphony's time was up. And and we see that in their... The symphony had gone to them for $100,000 last year, and that request was rejected. And I think that that's where we started to see the downfall of the symphony, really, that they were losing their support. Personally speaking, as a, a marginalized artist who's racialized here and, and younger, if the symphony can't make it, who can? Yeah. Because they've been here for 73 years. This is classical art that we're talking about. This is the thing that I think we're taught is like the fine art. This is what we're supposed Mm -hmm. to support. So it's alarming for a lot of us indie artists and people who are doing work that's more experimental. I know my work is very rooted in decolonization. And it's just really alarming. The community, I think, has been very anxious since that has transpired. And that affected... How many families? I mean, these were professional musicians who had possibly their sole income coming from performing with the KW Symphony Orchestra. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the few organizations that was offering union jobs. Mm -hmm. And so that's a huge hit, not just regionally, but across the country, because this is one of the only places that musicians like this could get work. 
I believe there was over 70 musicians who were let go, mm-hmm. a huge team of executives, supporters. We also need to think about what happens to the Conrad Center, what happens to the Center in the Square. That venue was built for the symphony. They took up over 50% of the available time in that space and brought a lot of revenue. This impacts the families, it impacts our economy. You know, we have theater spaces that are collecting dust now. And then we have artists who don't, who can't make work and can't afford to get into the space. So it's a systemic issue at this point. And patrons of the art who are now going out to Toronto, to Hamilton, to to the symphony there. Yes, we're all commuting out of town, taking the two-hour go train or driving our cars in the congestion on the 401, contributing, Mm -hmm. you know, to a climate change and all of that. It's a huge systemic problem that I see that could actually be fixed with a few strategic initiatives, but there's a lot of pushback as we see from our region. So that $100,000 that was denied to the KW Symphony Orchestra, that's not the only funding that's been removed. No. So the the council on December, I want to say, yeah, this, is Waterloo region 11th, council. this is the Waterloo Region Council voted. It was actually Carrie Williams who was assigned to the Region of Waterloo Arts Fund with no discussion with with us or any other community partners, went ahead and proposed a 20% reduction to the entire portfolio, yeah. and council approved a 10% reduction. And that was from a $300,000, $400,000 yeah. grant. Yeah, so. it was, it's, we, as the arts fund are impacted, but the entire portfolio. So all of the key cultural institutions, all of the grassroots initiatives, there's also the upstream fund, there's a climate action change fund and entrepreneurial initiatives. Everybody is down 10%. The upstream fund has the largest hit. I think they're about $500,000 that they're losing. Um, and so it's huge, but it's also was announced after most of us had our 2024 budget solidified. We lost the director of uh, culture and art, Helen Shmiri Russell, stepped down at the end of November, and the region still hasn't appointed any new director. So this cut happened after the, the department had no oversight. There's no director, and they still haven't put that piece in place. So it feels, um, I mean, they're, they're calling us a burden on the tax levy, but it feels a little bit deeper than that. Yeah. Yeah. And you've taken steps to counteract that. Yeah, I mean, I was really deeply hurt and disappointed that I continued to, you know, invest my unpaid time and emotional labor as someone who doesn't have a lot, is marginalized, struggles in this region, lives under the poverty line. I still found 10 to 20 hours in my week to try to to fix this issue when I was approached to to join the Arts Fund and to take over as chair. And, um, you know, there's been nothing but attempts to work with the regional councillor since the beginning. And this was a very clear message that they're just not going to. And so I was really alarmed at the lack of transparency, the lack of accountability, as well as a lot of internal issues that were happening that I was noticing with the, the council and the region and how the administration was working. And so I created this grassroots campaign called Save the Arts Waterloo Region. And that really was a reaction to the 10% cut, just trying to get the information out to our community that this was happening because it was very quiet. It was very buried. It was the last motion in the final budget meeting. It wasn't posted on the agenda right away. Nobody was made aware that this was happening. There wasn't a lot of us there to delegate at the time because, you know, we had our approvals from the director about what our our 
money next year was going to look like. And so I just thought it's time for our community to to use our collective voices, understanding a lot of us are over capacity, we're overworked, we are under-resourced, but there's strength in numbers. So if we come together, we might have some power against right. this administration. And you came together as Save the Arts Waterloo Region. That's right. Yeah. New organization? It's a new organization, so it's going pretty well. We've hosted one town hall so far. Mm -hmm. We are anticipating to host more. We've put a number of campaign managers in place who are going to be working in various aspects of the campaign, and we're hoping to grow it into something that can be an ongoing advocacy body for our sector here. Okay. Let's pivot to that in just a minute or so. Um, I think it's time for a, a song, yep. uh, a song of love. How about some pink paper hearts? Sounds great. Amanda Bram from KW. Kayla from Cambridge. Got Rochelle Lavelle. 
We're talking about Save the Arts Watered Region, a, an organization that you set up because funding has disappeared. Funding is just not considered a priority by yeah. those people that provide the funding. Yeah, yeah. I see this as a systemic defunding of arts and culture. I, I've been... I mean, it was my job to pay attention, and this is what I've noticed. And then I started noticing there's a similar pattern happening in other regions. There's a similar pattern happening across the country. And at a time where I see the police budget as being consistently <laughs> raised. Oh, dear, yes. Um, and, you know, I hear, I hear the pushback from the person who is the chair of the police board. And... Um, I see how they're keen to approve a $14 million increase to our regional police budget on top of their existing surplus for recruitment efforts and paid administrative leave and their contingency fund that already has millions of dollars sitting in it in surplus. And so I, I understand it's a difficult time economically and we have to make difficult choices. I'm concerned about the choice being let's double down on racist enforcement. We just had another murder of a black man on Monday. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when they are bolstering their contingency fund and then they're going out and killing black people in the community who are in distress and need their care it feels intentional to me yeah. it feels like we understand that we're going to go do this and we need to protect our own we need to protect our you know colonial ways yeah. and that is harmful to our community i don't see art causing harm to people so the excuse for things like the police budget is that uh, this is how the legislation works you know right. the region council has no ability to adjust the budget. They can only approve or reject the budget that's been proposed to them. Well, but that sounds like a, a systemic problem. It is a systemic yeah. problem. And they do have the ability to do it. But the problem is if they reject it, the money goes back to the, the Ontario police fund. And they don't want that to happen because they're really busy upholding police services. There's no interest in redirecting any of that money into mm -hmm. community initiatives, into prevention programs. If, if we had affordable housing and people could afford food and people had meaningful jobs, we would not see as much crime. And I don't know how much data and studies we need <laughs> to prove this, but it all exists already. So yeah, the fact yeah. that we're actively ignoring that, it does feel intentional and it does feel like a systemic problem. I feel personally triggered. I feel personally impacted. I feel personally attacked through these forms of institutional racism. It tells me you don't belong here. You shouldn't live here. How dare you? How dare you spend your time since you were two years old doing art instead of science? How dare you be born with melanated skin in this region? How dare you continue to live here as a millennial when obviously you're supposed to move away? Th that is the messaging that's being received. Yeah. Does Save the Arts address any of this? Our hope is to address some of this, so we're keen to lobby and, and to provide education. I think that there is a place to provide education to our community where it's lacking in our school systems, in our news, in our rhetoric. Also for us, like the campaign is for us, the artists, to have a safe place to come together, talk about our concerns, do our infighting outside of the public eye, and and just have an opportunity. We are so siloed here. And it just feels like it's time to come together instead of fighting our own individual battles. I right. don't think we can do it against this much power alone. Right. So this is why this is essentially a union of... Well, tell, tell me, what, what, what is yeah, this? Yeah, no, it is essentially a union. I mean, my goal would be to, to move towards an arts council. 
that can be an official body with the the funding and the support that it needs, the capacity that it needs to continue to advocate. I mean, we need to be delegating at council. We need to have our voices heard. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm personally frustrated seeing that the the regional Waterloo Arts Fund never reached out for a single dollar outside of this region, knowing that there are millions of dollars of support available yeah. to us. Um, there was just no interest in fundraising, and there's been pushback to our attempts to fundraise since my onboarding last summer. So this is concerning to me because not only are we not providing the supports to our community, but we're preventing us from finding the supports and and really building our practices here. And then I hear everyone talking about how it's so boring to live here and people want to move away or they came here in the pandemic for affordable housing that, you know, they have Mm. the opportunity to get out of now, make their money and go somewhere else more interesting. I just don't see what's captivating the young people like me and the young families to to stay here. (laughs) Even if I'm a scientist, I want something to do on the weekend. Yeah. I want culture in my life, and, and we're removing that. That's so sad. I've heard that across the spectrum. There's um, a time when I was talking to some people about uh, the funding, um, and I was suggesting that maybe the funding is better spent to fight poverty, uh, to provide housing. And people who were affected, uh, people of low income, people who were unhoused, said, oh, no, make sure that the funding for the arts stays. Yes, so it's, it's across the board it that benefits people want everyone. Yeah. Yes, I, I was involved in the impact, the Empty Space Impact uh, 23 Festival this past fall. Mm-hmm. And this is something that makes art accessible. So yes, there are shows that you pay tickets for, you go into the theater and you witness them. My show was on the street. It was on King Street and it was on the Gockel Block. And that made it free and accessible to not only the people who came to see it, but anybody who was passing through. There were so many people who stopped, took the 10 minutes out of their day to engage with that art. I had many unhoused people who came up to me and said, thank you so much for doing this. This 10 minutes just gave me hope to get through the rest of this year. I really hope that there's something else that comes down here. Why would unhoused people not want entertainment or to feel empathy or compassion to come together? This is what art does for us. I'm sure it's that systemic thing again. Yes. People who are poor need to be punished for it. Right. Yeah, our systems really punish us for this. When you don't have money in your bank account, the bank charges you for that. Where are you supposed to get the money to pay for that if you don't have the money? So when you're doing something like that, um, a street performance, uh, there's no admission. So the funding is absolutely vital to put this on. Absolutely. It that happened because MT Space was able to get money from Canadian Heritage and from the Community Foundation and from a number of private foundations who see this as valuable. Right. It trickled down to support a cast of all black artists who that week I was able to do art and eat and pay huh. my rent. And if I don't have you know, funding for that, I become one of these people who's accessing the food bank. I become one of these people who's yeah. on a list for subsidized housing. It still costs the taxpayers dollars. Oh, yes. It actually probably costs more dollars to do that than to just support individual artists doing the work. We don't need much. We just need something. Right, right. So Save the Arts, um, you set that up in January? Yeah, I set that up uh, mid-January, right after I found out about the cut. So I wasn't actually informed that our portfolio was cut. I was reading about it in the news, but I wasn't informed until about January 21st from the region. And you Um, being the chair of the board, that doesn't sound like 
it was good communication at no, all. No, there's terrible, terrible yeah. communication. And so when they're in the news alleging, you know, concerns about governance, I agree. I I went and delegated at council and said there are administrative failures. This through a DEI mm-hmm. lens we see as administrative violence, the the lack of accountability, being told you're just one of fifteen portfolios on the desk and we'll get to it when we get yeah. to it, while artists are waiting for money to be paid out, they're waiting for their final reports to be reviewed. There's just it just harm on harm on harm on yeah. harm on the community. <laughs> and um So who's who's joined you in Save the arts. Yeah, so I have a number of members from from the board, from the Arts Fund uh-huh, board, who right. are involved, and then there's a number of community members who have become involved as well. Okay. All um, artists, or th- at this time, they are all artists. Okay. Yeah, the, but you're looking for a wider spectrum of people to participate. Yeah, we do have Arsen Stepanian, who he's like a policy guy. He okay. he's a newcomer and he has worked, you know, I think he's been in 12, 14 countries. He's worked for the UN. He's worked for all kinds of different governments. So he is really helping with the, the strategy of a lot of okay. it. But, um, I think this campaign is for everybody. Right. And it's not just a matter of having this group lobby to the regional council to improve the funding again. Yeah. You want to do more than that. Yeah, I want to make it known that there are so many incredible artists in this region um, that a lot of us, frankly, pretend that we don't live here. <laughs> and But we're here in the suburbs, you know, commuting mm-hmm. on the 401 to where we actually work. Yeah. And I, I just think it's time to bring awareness to how vibrant the arts community he- is here. Personally speaking, as an independent artist, I find this region more vibrant than what I experienced in Toronto. Actually, I, I find that too. I'm uh, involved in the tech uh, community, you know, mm-hmm. the, the recreational tech community. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's far more engagement here than I found when I was living in Toronto. Yeah. So I just, I want to get the word out. I I could see how this campaign could grow to benefit other regions as well. Save the Arts London, Save the Arts Mississauga. Mm-hmm. And then we can come together as a governing body. I think, you know, the provincial government needs a lot of work. They've just slashed the OAC to something that's not even recognizable. That's the mm-hmm. Ontario Arts Council. The funding is way, way, way down. Um, same thing with Canadian Heritage. They We just lost all the pandemic support. So it was somewhere in the realm of $40 million that we had. And now we're down to like eight Mm. as a sector um so people are still suffering from the pandemic so absolutely yeah so it's it's really concerning and it just feels like when we look in the last century at these patterns of recession depression you know economic instability war everything that's going on in the world the artists get us through we saw that in the pandemic we all turned to art now the artists need you we are struggling we really want to maintain And I see in the last century, now I'm speaking as a black person, I see how the artists needed to do civil rights to get through that century. And it feels like history is repeating itself. We're back in a place of fighting institutional racism, Mm -hmm. fighting systems that are broken, fighting for marginalized people, fighting for our planet against systems of colonial power. Yes. I don't think it's just black people, people of color. Yeah. Um, I think that's affecting many different sectors. I mean, uh, any involvement you've got in politics, you see things regressing back to uh, the way it was back in uh, 1939. That's right. Uh, Other areas where you're involved, uh, you you just notice that things aren't 
the utopia that we were expecting at uh, the turn of the century. You know? Yeah, it's uh, really alarming. We thought we were moving forward and we've just slid all the way. We've and lost a lot of progress. Rapidly. Very rapidly. Yeah. Very, very rapidly. So the only thing I know how to do is to fight. Yeah. You had a meeting? Yep. It was all online? Uh, yeah, we've been hosting everything online. So we had a special meeting on February 1st with the, the council to to basically ask what happened. This is the regional council. This is the regional. So okay. we, we, I hosted two meetings. I had a regional council special meeting. Uh, like the, the Reach of Waterloo Arts Fund had a special meeting on February 1st okay. to discuss the, the budget and also to understand what happened, what the mentality behind this cut was. In that, many of the board members brought to light um, you know, concerns around conflict of interest. That was the point at which Carrie Williams resigned due to conflict of interest. Mm. And we made a public statement on February 1st about that. We were still attempting to move forward with our, our equity work, which we were about a week away from implementation. At the same time, we hosted this town hall for the community. Mm -hmm. so we've generated a mailing list of around 200 people so far. We're hoping that people will still continue to express their interest in joining the mailing list. And then from that mailing list, you can be informed about future events that are right. going on. That town hall was just the first sort of dump right. of information. Now that there's been more that has transpired, the hope is to, to gather together as a community, just hear everyone's voices and concerns to collect strategies and then um, move forward with our campaign, which we'll see in the coming weeks how we're going to handle right. that. You have something planned? Yep. Yeah. Can you tell us? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. <laughs> Probably means you're going to have to come back into the studio at some point and tell us uh, what is actually going on. Happy to. Yeah. Happy yeah. to. Yeah. I think we're going to go and play Pink Paper Hearts for real this time. Wonderful. <laughs> this is Amanda Bram.
Amanda Bram with Pink Paper Hearts. We're talking about funding and the, uh, the radio station funding. We, as Radio Waterloo, operate as a cooperative. The uh, programmers that come into the studio and uh, do the shows pay to be on the air, which is the opposite way that most radio stations work. Most radio stations pay their programmers, uh, but here the programmers ensure that we get to stay on the air by offsetting the cost of things like rent, uh, transmission, uh, internet, power, all those mm -hmm. things. How would that fit into an arts funding scenario? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we were looking at implementing with the Arts Fund is hosting community workshops, things like grant workshops where you could come and learn. You could get a cheat sheet for like how to get money from the Arts Fund, how to get money from OAC. I know there is one of these workshops that exists in town, but I think more is needed. I don't think that there's a great database anywhere of all of the available options. So I definitely think that that would help. Um and th that's something that we were really focused on and really excited to launch for the community was these workshops where we could address granting, we could address tax problems, how to uh, file, how to maximize your return, how to make investments to take, say you're a co-op and you have a small contingency fund, what could you do with that contingency fund to help your organization, being able to offer support as a fiscal sponsor. So a lot of us don't know that we could access nonprofit funding as a not nonprofit through a nonprofit through partnership if they are your fiscal sponsor so there's just just a lack of education there that I think is needed and something that we would like to do I see this as something that the campaign can take up it's also really valuable to have grant writers who are really practiced and experienced with this type of thing because it is a whole skill set there it helps when you build a relationship with the funding trustees with the the people who administer these funds that obviously again takes time energy effort capacity yeah. so having dedicated people in the community who do this work and then download the information to everybody is really valuable yeah. this is something that most artists don't come with you know, artists just aren't inclined no. to do the fiscal stuff the administration stuff now you're an exception to that well i have a background in corporate work i have been a manager since i was 18 years old i went to an arts high school but i was always told find your b plan you know be realistic think about mm. what your quote real job is going to be and so by the time i was 18 i think i was kind of gaslit into believing that i couldn't make it as an artist and um i had been downstreamed in high school because of systemic issues and marginalization and, and these types of things. Not something I recognized at the time. I just thought like, I'm dumb and they hate me and I'm never going to make it. And, <laughs> and I'm, and you know, and I recognized I wasn't going to go to college or university. And so I started working. I'm a smart person. I learned a lot on the job. I learned really quickly. I had my own office at the Thompson Hotel in Toronto by the time I was 23 as an account manager for, you know, a startup and all of these things. And by the time I was 25, I was like, I hate this. Imagine 30 more years. Like, I hate my life. I cannot you, stand this. How did you get back into the arts then? I had that moment where I was like, this is dumb. I also had friends who recognized my talent and was, were like, you need to do this. At one point when I was 19, I was working at the mall. I was managing the solo mobile. I kind of looked around and I was like, ew, this is going to be my life for the next 20 years. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I just thought this is not my plan. I can else? go. I'm young. I should pursue my dreams. If I fail, I can crash back here. <laughs> and I just happened to not fail. I went off to Randolph Academy. 
I booked an agent right out of fifth term before I graduated. One of the biggest agents in the country. Mm-hmm. It was like Drake's agent at the time. Um, I started auditioning. I was auditioning for Broadway, Mervish, Stratford, all the stuff. But at the same time, I was sick. I was diagnosed with cervical cancer. Um, I was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome. And I was told that I was infertile. So I was like, okay, this is fine. Three weeks later, I was pregnant. And I just thought, this is my chance. He's my miracle baby. I got to go for it. So I started um, pursuing that. The industry was kind of like, bye, good luck being a mom. Yeah, my agent was like, call me when you lose the baby weight and I'll consider taking you back on my roster. And so I... It hasn't slowed you down. No, I'm I'm relentless. I have a resilient spirit. I just went on this journey to Barbados. My grandma turned 100. Ah. And I went on this journey of uncovering my roots. I attached okay. it to a project that I was doing. I just presented it at the museum and created a documentary out of it. And in that, I discovered that right within my lineage, so the, there was this riot in 1937 in Barbados that basically changed everything for everybody. The folks who were involved in this riot, they created the access to education, clean drinking water, voting rights. Like the, the black people there did not have anything before that. Mm-hmm. And as a result of this riot, they did. And I think that really helped me to understand my people. They survived for 400 years on that island. Barbados is the pilot project of the British slave trade. I traced my roots back to the very first sugar plantation, the Drax Hall Plantation in Barbados. So my descendants, the people I'm descendant of, have been so resilient that they came on the first slave ships and survived for 400 years on that plantation, literally creating the model for sugar cultivation and spreading sugar across the world. This family still owns this plantation to this day. Hmm. Uh, It's still a working plantation. To see the descendants of that and then see the people who have um, created rights for folks, it just made me understand that it's not me. Like, I've been resilient since I was a child and I've been an activist since I was a child because it's literally in my DNA. Yeah. Did this knowledge help you in setting up diverse works? Somewhat. I started Diverse Works in 2021 out of sheer frustration. I hated teaching Zoom dance lessons six days a week. (laughs) And I just thought I need a creative outlet. I need something that fills my soul. I need, I just need to get back to what I was trained to do, which yes, I was trained to teach and I was trained to write reports and I was trained to manage a team of 50 people, but I'm also an artist. That's who the five-year-old version of me is. And I wanted a space to return to that. I looked around town and I didn't find anywhere that I felt was truly safe for me as a young black loudmouth artist to do decolonial work, to to devise contemporary movement, which is really what I wanted to do. So I just was like, I'm going to do it myself. Always the best way, you know? Yeah. I, I just looked around and I realized I'm the only black woman in town at this time who has the time, isn't working for another organization or isn't out of town doing, you know, other good work that I have the capacity. I have the executive experience. I have the the artistry. I have the talent. It took me a long time to have the confidence to say all of that out loud. And when I finally did, I was like, oh, okay, I guess I should launch. 
The company blew up really, really fast. It demonstrated to me that there's a clear need here, that people want this. It mm-hmm. wasn't just me, but I felt in my heart that if I could serve myself, that there are other artists like me out there. I was really frustrated to see my young apprentice at the time. She was 17, 18 years old, experiencing all the same issues that I had as a teenager 15, 20 years ago. I just thought there has to be a better way. Going on this trip definitely strengthened my resolve. It strengthened my relationship to myself, to my ancestry, to my funding, and to my decolonial work. Mm-hmm. I've also been in this um, residency with the Ubuntu Decolonial Center, so that's to be young and oh. Africa, um, who's writing their dissertation right now on decolonial praxis that will be published in the spring. And so I've been contributing to that and really taking oh, that process nice. in through residency, and that has evolved my company and evolved my practice okay. and have evolved how I am as a leader to a place where I felt comfortable creating this campaign in the face of threats against it, being told pretty clearly, you better sit down and shut up and keep your mouth quiet if you want to be in leadership here, and feeling that that wasn't fair, equitable, right, transparent, and frankly, racist. And so I'm here using my voice. A lot of that kind of work doesn't sound like it's an art. It, It sounds more like it's you know, more didactic work. You're, you're teaching more than that you're performing. Yeah, I still view it as arts work. I think I know because I've been on the margins of these systems that we have here, mm-hmm. our education systems, our healthcare systems, all of these things, I've had to find my own way. And I've done that through art. I've done that through the mentors that I've had, yeah. the people that have held me, how I've been taught to build relationship, how I've been taught to hold space, how I've been taught to use my mind in as a dancer, I'm a scientist. I'm, I'm a mathematician. <laughs> I'm, I learned there's other ways to learn skills besides regurgitating things from a, an antiquated textbook and writing it into a paper that another colonial co-signs for you. I do have these skills because I'm an artist and I see the giving back as part of the mechanism of keeping the sector healthy. I also recognize that somebody's got to do it. Someone needs to lobby the government and remind them that we exist and we need their money and their support and also remind them of the economic impact that we're making here. Yeah. Do you have something going on right now? Yeah, so I'm currently in the process of building the Diverse Works Decolonial Arts Hub and that will be a safe space in town for my company, for other companies similar to mine. I have a couple of collaborators who I'm, I'm talking with right now okay. that I won't announce quite yet, but... This is a, a physical space. This is a physical space, yep. Perform, to practice. That's to, right. To learn, to exactly. do the workshops. Yep, so I would like to house my company there. I would like to run my paid apprenticeship program out of there. I would like to have an equitable rehearsal space available for the national circuit that's here in our region. Mm-hmm. Um, something that the film and TV crews can use as a soundstage, but can also be used by local dance practitioners, something that has a sprung dance floor, bars, mirrors, security system, all these things that has racialized representation for our communities. For something pretty substantial. Absolutely. Wow. But, uh, with real estate prices, that isn't going to come cheap. It's not an easy task. So but you need funding. I need the funding. I need yeah, the support. It comes back, doesn't it? 
It It does, but there's so much commercial space in this town that is empty right now. Really? And we would rather let things be empty than to house artists or put unhoused people or develop systems. I I wish I didn't have to do all this lobbying. I wish I didn't have to sit here and talk to you about policy. I really wish I could just be an artist who gets up and dances and contributes pretty things into the world. That's not where we're at. No. I do this work because I have to, not because I want to. Something uh, coming up that the public might be interested in? Oh, gosh, let's see. Um, I would love for everybody to follow the Save the Arts campaign. So you can find us on Instagram mm-hmm. at Save the Arts underscore Waterloo. Um, we just started our Twitter today or our <laughs> X. So you can go ahead and follow us on there. You can email us at savethearts.waterloo at gmail.com. Join our mailing list. Get involved. We're going to have a number of town halls and other events that you can attend on March. March next week, sometime March 5th, council will be delegating in their committee again. So I would encourage anyone from the community to go if you're concerned about the cuts to arts and culture, if you're concerned about what's happening in our sector or any of these unfounded allegations that are out there, it would be great to have people speaking to council about right. that. And really, there's so much happening in town. Go see art. Anybody's art doesn't yeah. need to be mine. Doesn't have to be yours. Are you uh, doing any performances? Uh, in the near future? I just wrapped this performance at the museum, so I'm ah, taking a little bit of a hiatus. Okay. But I will be back in the summer with more programming all around town. I'm hoping to have my center set up in the next six months. Right, right. How do you go about developing a program uh, like a, a, a performance? Where, where, where does that start from? I mean, funding, obviously. Yeah, it really does start with the funding um, because time and energy is so at maximum, right? If I know I have the money to do a project, I will move ahead. I tried last year to push a project ahead before I had approvals from the grants. They didn't all approve. I had to cancel the project and that sucked for everybody. So now I really try to spend a lot of time on administration, putting the grants out there, again, lobbying, building connections, building relationships with private donors, with funders, with people who I mean, there's a lot of people in this community who've known me since I was a little girl, and they're they're quite keen to to help. And I'm so blessed and and thankful, and frankly privileged to have that opportunity. And so I'm cashing in all my chips. I'm calling in every single favor. I'm using every every resource that I have to to create this work. My last piece of work was sponsored by or commissioned by the Black and Free Project from the University of Waterloo. The show before that was commissioned by MT Space for the Impact Festival. So in the absence of individual grants, I am supported by these wonderful organizations who see the work that's being done and really want to contribute. Right. So we'll have all the contact information for Save the Arts on our show notes page which I really hope to have up soon. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm way behind in uh, getting a lot of those show notes uh, pages up, so if you've been looking for them, uh, keep an eye on the Radio Waterloo website, and uh, it will appear there as soon as I can get that put into place. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Uh, we have less than a minute left, so I want to thank you, uh, Rochelle Lovell. Thank you. To, uh, for coming in. Rochelle Lovell of Save the Arts Waterloo Region trying to restore some funding for the arts community in the Waterloo Region, uh, as well as the chair of the Waterloo Region Fund, Arts Fund. Yeah. Is uh, there a future for that? I don't know. I don't want to... I'm, I'm not going to speculate on yeah. that because I'm not 
hopeful uh, that council uh, is on the right side of history. But I'm really hopeful for the Save the Arts campaign. I'm really excited about the work that Diverse Works Dance Co. is doing and all of the artists in town who are doing really exceptional work. Right. I think it's time for our theme music. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. You're welcome, Rochelle. You've been listening to CKMS Community Connections for the 26th of February, 2024. My name is Bob Jonklin. CKMS Community Connections is produced at the station at the studios of CKMS FM Radio Waterloo. It is sponsored by Radio Waterloo. The executive producer is Jennifer Strong. Associate producer is Jeff Steger. And our theme music was written by Steve Todd. CKMS Community Connections airs every Monday at 11 o'clock and alternate Fridays at 3 p.m. Talk to you then.